Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ and then to be sanctuary to each other and express sanctuary to this city. And so for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. I gotta say, uh, good socks, good choice. Costco, I'm hoping. Yes. Amen. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm a, I, I'm, for better or worse, I am a Costco person. And so uh, on any given day, it'll be like, wow, that's a lot of. That's a lot of Costco I got going, uh, but and it's some. I just heard a comedian say, "When you know you're, you're dressing in Costco pants, you know you've given up." And I'm like, "Oh, I guess, guess that's my life." Um, I want to start by uh, a question, and I want you to just think about it for a second. Don't overthink this, and don't make it. Don't try and over spiritualize it. But here's the question: Over the last week, what was something that prompted you towards dissatisfaction? dissatisfaction you know Mick Jagger our Brits lovely uh, person that he has said many many years ago I can't get no satisfaction so what's something and in fact if a couple of you want to just even call it out I mean again don't try and go spiritual on this just go I mean everything's spiritual but just you know like what's what's a moment something that you saw or heard or noticed something or thought of something and it made you kind of feel dissatisfied. Anybody want to? Canceled plans. Okay. Yeah. Dis- video for the new iPhone. There you go. <laughs> and suddenly your iPhone wasn't as good anymore, right? No, instantly, instantly disappointed. Yes. What else? Yeah. Cloudy mornings, trying to wake up. Okay. Yeah. Just. Uh, yeah, and it's so funny. And then when it's hot, we're like, where'd the clouds go? I mean, right? And then when the sun, it's like, it's too hot. I, I lived in Arizona for about 30 years, and it was, you know, it, even now it's over 100 in Arizona. And, and I, you know, you live with it. And then I moved to Santa Cruz, and it was amazing. Within six months, I'm like, 80 degrees? That's way too hot. <laughs> um, I, I, I want to actually stir discontent in you this morning, or maybe better, dissatisfaction. Not with your phone, although I get it, or your car, or where you live, or your income, or even what you see when you look in the mirror, or your family, or any of those other things. I don't want to stir that kind of discontent. I want to stir a different kind of discontent. That is not, it's really not for me to stir, ultimately, it's the Spirit of God to stir. And it's in Galatians 4, chapter 19, Paul says these words to this group of people that he loved a lot. He was concerned that they were getting off track uh, from in their faith and there was some false teaching coming in, but he, he didn't want to just get them back on track with the gospel. He wanted to get them back on track with what the whole goal was. And Galatians 4.19 says, he says these words, um, My dear brothers and sisters, my dear children, in fact, this is a parental kind of thing. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you till Christ is formed in you the most uh, cool thing happened to me this week and it really didn't happen to me it happened to my son and his wife and that I just became a grandparent on the, yeah. 
Thursday night at 8, 8.30 Boston time. I know. You look at me and go, no, no, not possible. No, or you look at me and go, really, just now? Um, thought that happened a decade or so ago. But they, um, so little Isaac, Amen. Isaac got, uh, came into the world officially on Thursday night. And, and um, I'm, I'm not even pretending to be objective. He's the cutest child that has ever lived. Uh, he is adorable and 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 yet um, we we weren't there. But we heard some of the you know uh, Tavia is my daughter in law. She went into labor and it was difficult. It was actually really difficult. They were real that close to doing a C section because he was getting in distress. She was struggling and all that and you know everything worked out great. But there's that that sense of if I I've watched labor three times. I've never done it and I I gotta say. I don't know. My, my wife and I were just talking about this last night. How is it that for thousands of years, it seems like men really thought they were the stronger of the sexes? I mean, are you kidding? Have you ever seen a woman go through labor? And I mean, I've seen my wife do it, and I, I could just say, no, thank you. You know, pass. It's what it's extraordinarily difficult. But but here's Paul saying, I would, I I'm I'm experiencing that level of concern and longing and desire and intense intensity for you to be formed in Christ. Dissatisfaction is actually, I think, a powerful thing if it's, if it's aimed in the right direction. Everything around us aims to stir discontent. I mean, that's, frankly, that's the entire goal of a multi-billion dollar advertising industry, right? To make you unhappy with what you have, even though most of us, what we have is more than enough. But to turn on the TV, to, to see a billboard, to see an ad, a pop-up on your phone, or whatever it is, and to have it stir in you a discontent that what you have isn't good enough, that who you are isn't good enough. But if you get this other thing, or if you subscribe to this program, or if you do this, your life will be better. It will be better. It will be more, you'll get greater satisfaction until the next time they wanna sell you something dissatisfaction in that way is is you know it can run our lives in fact our economy in some ways is built on that i remember in my freshman year of college at arizona state university um no sun devils that's okay um i don't blame you it's it was yeah it was what it was uh but my freshman year in, ma in macroeconomics one of the first laws it was really of mac uh, economics but it was of human nature it was this the insatiability of human want that's what the capitalism thrives on it's what economies are built on insatiability of human want and it's funny and if you if you pause and think and we all know this well if, do you do we really believe that well if i buy that car buy that house get that thing get the job add another person in our family, whatever it is, that will really forever satisfy all my internal longings. N not too many people would rationally say yes, and yet we keep chasing it. Many years ago, I was um, in the mall. Remember those? Uh, not too many of those, but I remember being in a mall in Arizona, and I, I'm a watch guy. As you can see, some people look at me like, Richard, do you know you're wearing two watches? And I, I wear this Fitbit because I don't like to use it as a watch. I'm a purist. I want to I look at my watch for the time, and this... It's for something else. And then you're going, Richard, your phone has a clock on it. I know. It's stupid that I do this, but I do. But anyway, I love watches. I'm walking into a watch store, and I'm talking to a woman, and I happen to see there's a Rolex sitting there, and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful piece of jewelry of, of 
craftsmanship and I looked at it and I said I'm just curious how much is that one and she said oh it's an inlaid mother of pearl good choice uh, yeah thanks uh, it's $25,000 and I, I mean I think I literally laughed out loud but I you know and and she said oh and she said these words to me once you've had a Rolex once you get a Rolex your life will never be the same and I'm like can you live in it you know what, what your life will never be the same but we know that like maybe it's cool for a day a week what if it was cool for a month or a year but still there's that insatiability of human want and i'm not just talking about material things i actually would want to invite the spirit of god to stir dissatisfaction with something deeper in you and that is the your uh, your formation in christ to long for more of Jesus to long for more of his work in your life because and here's why because I don't believe that unless unless we're there's some level of dissatisfaction we will be content to remain as we are it's interesting George Barna a number of years ago did a survey and he asked the average Christian or just people that that would said I'm I'm a Christ follower and they asked them how is your life with God and the exact phrasing, but how is your life with God, your relationship with Jesus? And most people answered the vast majority somewhere in the, it's okay. It's okay. Not great, not terrible. It's okay. And then they've asked them, and how do you feel about how your relationship with God is? And you know what? This was the answer that got me. Most of them were okay with that. It's okay. That we've made our peace with that. It's okay. You know, there's some good moments, there's some lows. I'm just kind of content with it being in the middle or I've settled for it to be just sort of somewhere in the middle. It's okay. That doesn't sound like Paul in Galatians 4. I'm in, the, I'm in agonizing like a mother in labor until Christ is formed. I want to take that word formed a moment apart for a minute. Formed is if you're into Greek language, it's morpheo, morpheo. And so it's, and it's this idea of the essential character of a thing. And, uh, and so here we have the word um, metamorpho, where we get the word metamorphosis, which you think of probably the most typical example you think of metamorphosis would be like a caterpillar into a butterfly. The, it's a fundamental transformation of a thing from one kind of thing into another. I remember my son, my, I have three kids, my oldest, like I said, they, they just had a, uh, a baby boy, and then my middle son, Cade, and my daughter, Madison, middle son, Cade, and years ago, he got for his birthday, he got, um, he got these, it's a little kit, I guess you can order, I don't know if you can still do this, I don't even know if this is legal or not, but they have these little caterpillars that they're already pre-cocooned, and they like ship them to you, and, they, and so here you get these two things that frankly just look like dead things hanging. And, and that was his birthday present from, I think, my mother, which, frankly, wouldn't have shocked me if she would have just wrapped up some dust and mailed it. But, uh, but I'm like, okay, this is what's supposed to happen. Is, you know, and he, put, he had the little sort of container it's in. You could watch it, and it's sitting on his dresser. And for a month or more, nothing, nothing is happening. And I'm going, oh, he probably got a dud one. You know, you got to explain to the five-year-old that, yeah, see that, that there? That's nothing, and it's never going to be. You know, like, what do you say? But sure enough, even though on the outside nothing seemed to be happening, on the inside a lot was happening. And then eventually, and this was kind of God's cool timing of the whole thing, 
they were they were coming out of their cocoons these butterflies were uh, that coincided with a trip that we were doing to Disneyland and Cade was so excited about this so we put them in our car with us and took them along and we re uh, literally the day we were going to Disneyland we didn't take them into the park but we released them from the hotel room outside next to Disneyland so that they also could enjoy the happiest place on earth right so transformation that's the word metamorphosis metamorpho but you know, it's underneath actually the, the longing of, of Jesus and the scripture for every single follower of Christ. Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the renewing of your minds to present yourself, your bodies to God, a living and holy sacrifice, except pleasing to God. This is your spiritual form of worship. And he said, don't let the world squeeze you in its mold, making you dissatisfied with every other aspect of your life, but actually be what? Transformed, metamorpho, by the renewing of your mind. Romans 8:29. You know, we, many of us know Romans 8:28. God causes all things to work together for good for those who love Him, those who are called according to His glory. For those God predestined, He also foreknew that they might be conformed. That's sumorpheo, conformed to the likeness of His Son. So I'm gonna, we're going to do a little responsive thing for a second, and I'm going to just say, I'm going to say, "Let us morph," and then you can say back, "Let us morph indeed." Okay. <laughs> You ready? You got it? You with me? Let us morph. Let us morph indeed. Okay, let's do it again, but this time like you mean it. So let us morph. Let us morph indeed. Indeed. So, but it starts with holy dissatisfaction that leads to, I believe, holy desire. And start with the dissatisfaction. I, I and, and here's the thing. Um, John Orberg is a pastor that you may have heard of, and he uses this term that he actually got from uh, early Ju uh, the, the Jewish leaders at the time of Jesus had what came to be known as these boundary markers. The boundary markers in their time of what a really religious, devout person did was uh, ceremonial hand washing, had to do that before every meal, Sabbath keeping, and they had about 500 rules around Sabbath keeping. Literally, here I'll give you one rule around Sabbath keeping. You couldn't spit on the ground. Why? Because if you spit on the, in the dirt and it moved the dirt a little bit, that would be considered plowing, and that's work. Can't do that. Couldn't walk more than a certain amount of steps in that day. It got to be this whole complex set of rules, and that was, but you had to follow those. So Sabbath keeping uh, and table fellowship, who you ate with. You had to eat with the people that were, were devout, not outsiders, Gentiles, not Jewish people, and hand washing. Those are big boundary markers. It's interesting, I grew up in church, uh, maybe some of you did too, and boundary markers externally we had were things like, you don't smoke. I mean, it's funny, you could have been a pastor of a church and you could have, uh, you know, could have been a, known to be a gossip and a very angry person that was rude to people and all that kind of stuff, but if you've ever greeted people at the door with a cigarette in your hand, you'd be fired on the spot. Now, does any of us really think that smoking is worse than having a bitter, angry heart? No. You might go, well, it's not healthy, but... It's interesting, but that was a boundary marker. I grew up in, you know, churches. You didn't drink, you didn't smoke, and you didn't play cards because you played cards that might lead to dancing. I don't know. Um, but I, I don't know. But you had, these are the rules, the outer rules. Those are boundary markers. I don't know what boundary markers you might have had in your own upbringing, maybe in your family or in your church. But, but what's interesting is they, they're meant probably originally to be good things, but they end up taking over. So, for example, if I were to say, how are you doing spiritually? How are you... How is your life with God? How is, in what ways is it flourishing? 
For me growing up, it might have been a set of behaviors I wasn't doing, but it would also have been the behaviors that I was supposed to be doing were this magical thing called a quiet time. Right? Anybody, you know, devotions, your time with God. I'm not against it. I have one every morning. But that, if you were to have asked me what, what is a measure of my spirituality, it would have been how consistently and how, how fervently did I practice that time with God. And if I did it, check, God and I are good. If I missed a few days, I was not doing as well. And yet Jesus never said anything about a quiet time. Again, not, I'm all for it. What did Jesus give as the measurement? Did he give a measurement of our spirituality? And I would say 100% he did. When asked what the greatest commandment in the law was, he said, love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as you love yourself. Love, love is the measure of flourishing. Our love for God, our love for others, and actually love for self. Appropriate love for ourselves. That's the measure. And this holy discontent, so what I ask myself, am I, and it's not just do I love, it's am I maturing in love? Am I maturing in love? Come back to the childbirth example. I, I mean, I, uh, my wife and I were married 33 years ago. And I remember marrying this person and thinking, I, I love this person with all my heart. I really meant that. And then I thought, when we came, five years later, when our first son was born, and I thought, wow, how do I, do I have to divide my love between Kelly and Caleb, and how does this work? And no, your heart expands, doesn't it? It expands, and then, and then we were actually genuinely had lots of conversations about, but when we have another one, do we, are we gonna divide our love and affection between them? I'm like, no, your heart expands, expands. And, and here's the thing, our hearts are meant to continue to expand and increase in our capacity to love. Increase. So, so the question I want to be asking myself is more of like, do, is my capacity, not just do I feel loving towards God or other people or, or the world around me, do I feel it, but is my capacity to, to live and demonstrate and show love for God and others, is my capacity increasing? Is that growing? That's a measure Jesus gave. So, so here's the deal. How do we do that? If it's out of duty, if it's out of I should, I should, I should, then, then we're going to just do enough to alleviate our guilt. Or we're going to try and muster it up somehow in ourselves. And yet, and yet that isn't the way. What Holy dissatisfaction, I believe, is meant to lead to holy desire. You know, one of the first or one of the most common questions Jesus asks people is, what do you want? What do you want? Do you ever stop and think about that? I, growing up in my, my family, is, as it was, I don't recall being asked a lot, what do I want? What I wanted was probably not as relevant in my family. But even in church growing up, like, what do you want? That sounds really selfish, doesn't it? What do you want? It's not about you. We might hear about you. I even had, the, you have, do you ever have the acrostic in church, joy, Jesus, others, you? You know, you, I was third on the list and maybe just as an add-on, Right? And yet Jesus asks people, what do you want all the time? He starts at this place of desire, discontent and desire. Desire. And you go, well, but I don't know if I can trust my desires. That's okay. Jesus is bigger than that. G.K. Chesterton famously said, or is attributed to him anyway, he said, the man knocking on the door of a brothel is actually looking for God. Mm. Now you go, what? that doesn't add up. I don't think he's looking for God in there. <laughs> he's looking for something else. 
if you take any desire and you probe underneath it, you'll get to eventually God. What's the man in the door? Well, he's looking for sexual gratification. Sure. But what's underneath that? Well, maybe just human connection. Maybe companionship. But what's he looking for? Intimacy. What's he looking for? He's looking to have his soul's desire satisfied. And we go chasing it in a million ways. Jesus wasn't afraid to ask people, what do you want? And he wasn't afraid to start where they were. He stands in front of a blind Bartimaeus is brought to him and he's crying out, God have mercy on me. There was a raw, naked desire screaming at the top of his lungs to be brought to Jesus. And Jesus meets the man and he asks the man, what do you want me to do for you? And at first that seems like a strange question. What do you think he wants? A sandwich? Well, I want to see. But Jesus, and he does open his eyes, but he's inviting it. And then it but then it says, what I love is, and then he followed Jesus down the road. Because he knew that there was more, as his eyes were open, so were his spiritual eyes to go, there's even more than having your out, outer needs satisfied. Holy discontent to a holy desire, and then a recognition that transformation, which is what you were made for, let us morph. Oh, sorry, as I stuck that one in there, let me try it again. Let us morph. Transformation is your destiny. But it's not just a matter of trying really hard. It's interesting, Philippians 2, 12 and 13, Paul says this. He said, uh, my, um, work out, not work for, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it is God at work in you. It's a paradox and it is mysterious. We work at, grace is opposed as Dallas Willard, a famous philosopher and I, one I uh, love is he says God is, grace is opposed to earning it is not opposed to effort mm-hmm. we uh, we give ourselves to God's work it in or Philippians 3 just a chapter later Paul says live up to what you've already attained live into who you already are brothers and sisters my friends I don't even know you and yet I already know this about you at the core of who you are if you are a follower of Jesus you have been given a new heart You've been given a heart that is alive towards God, that is deepest, your deepest desire in the deepest you there is, is to know, love, follow, serve, and please God. That is at the core of your being. Now, a lot of stuff gets layered on top of that, and we have to kind of excavate sometimes to get underneath that. That's what, that's what we call sanctification or transformation. That is the process of living into our identity as followers of Christ is what you're made for. You and I are made for. Your fundamental (laughs) makeup and as a follower of Christ is to be made for transformation. But it doesn't just happen, right? I don't, nobody drifts into Christ-likeness. It doesn't just happen to us. We don't, but here's, so, so, and here's uh, a great distinction, training versus trying. Mm -hmm. Training versus trying. I'm not the first to come up with this, but it's really helpful. Um, a few years ago, I, uh, I knew I needed to lose some weight and I knew I, w- I needed something more than just I should exercise to motivate me because that hadn't been sufficient for the decade or so before. And so I knew I needed a goal. I knew I, and I decided I was going to sign up for a half marathon. And I, at that day, it was in August and the marathon was in January. I, I went out and said, all right, let me see what I can do. And I could run a mile and I was done. And I tried really hard. But what was amazing is I started to run day after day after day. The, the, 
The processes that God put in place in the human body as I began to train led me to over time by Thanksgiving I ran a 10k and then by January I ran 13 miles without stopping and now I could I'm back to running maybe half a mile right so you know it, it, my transformation was undone uh, by 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 severe and continued apathy um, but but here's the thing Training is very different than trying. And so here's what, here's what I fear for many of us in the, in the faith is we, we hear a good message or we hear something and we, we have a, a time with God and we go, that's really great. I'm going to try really hard to go do that today. Mm-hmm. And then we get frustrated and we get discouraged and we go. And that's where it leads to where we started with like, I've tried. This is as good as it gets. Maybe. Maybe this is it. But what about training? Mm-hmm. What about training? What does that look like? First Timothy four, Paul talks about this to Timothy. He says, "Train yourself for godliness." God, you know, physical exercise—that's great, but that's temporary. Godliness is value for the this life and the life to come. So, this idea of training—how do we train? That's where spiritual practices come in. That whole having that time with God, or other practices you might do—serving, giving, you know, worship—all these things. But here's the the subtle temptation I see this in my own life is that I start to practice the practices for the sake of the practices I saw the goal isn't to get really good at having a quiet time or really good at, I mean again it's like does that have value to just study scripture all by itself of course it does but it can also just lead to pride is the goal to be able to pray for a really long time and feel, feel it really deeply well it's good to do but the goal is actually deeper it's transformation and union with God uh, why would I serve? Well, because there's needs and I, I'm made to serve. Yeah, and I'm, maybe, and I'm wired that way. Yeah, but also it's, it's to increase in love for God and other people. And I actually start doing some things. And then I find as I do them, I find God is the one that does the transforming. It's not about my trying really hard. It's not even about me doing really good spiritual practices. But it is practicing certain things led by God empowered by God in order to become more like Jesus. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So, one uh, author has a book called Space for God, and that's actually become a really great metaphor for me and how I think about practicing certain spiritual disciplines or practices is, is opening up space, creating space for God to act. Because who does the transforming ultimately? If you're ever in church, don't the answer, just say Jesus, and you're right most of the time. But So yes, who does the, tra- G- the Spirit of God does the transformation. We don't change ourselves, but we can either uh, cooperate with God or resist Him. We can either open up space or we can close it. We can make room for God or we can wall Him off in our life. God gives us that freedom. But if we long to experience metamorphosis transformation and you do long for it whether you know it or not augustine you made us for ourselves our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you you made us for yourself god and so as we cooperate as we begin to lean into the morph that god wants to do the transformation that god wants to do well god does work that we can't imagine we actually become can you imagine what would it be like if your, great, if your greatest longing was to be truly more loving towards people in your life, to deepen your love for God and experience of... I've said it to other people this way lately. It's been bothering me a lot. 
I sometimes I experience God's love coming to me like it's coming through a straw and I'm trying to give it out through a hose. I don't want that. I want to experience it like a, you know, a fountain, a rain shower, as we've been talking about. I want to feel God's love that way so I can give it out that way. That's what some of the practices are for, that we, we open ourselves to God and his transforming spirit in us, and then we see over time him doing that. That's why so many of the analogies, even for us growing, even as a, individuals, as a body, as a group, as a family, are, are human ones that we, we transform over time. But as we, as we pay attention intentionally to what God is inviting, inviting us to do. So... I want to close with a story before I do. I want to just do our little thing one more time. Let us morph. Let us morph indeed. A few years ago, I had the privilege with my wife of going to uh, Italy. Loved uh, that trip. It was amazing. Got to be in Umbria. Went to Assisi, where Francis was from. And it was just amazing. And we got to spend a couple days in Rome. And we got to go to the Basilica, St. Peter's Basilica there. And and there is uh, one of the more famous pieces of uh, art and besides the Sistine Chapel it, but by Michelangelo it is the Pieta it is the statue of of Mary holding the uh, the body of Jesus after he's taken down from the cross it's considered it is carved from a single piece of stone it is an amazing amazing thing in fact Michelangelo when asked how he how he sculpted it in his process he said I saw the statue in it and I chipped away from it everything that wasn't it. Isn't that great? But sadly, a number of, I don't know, probably a couple of decades ago, a man who had some serious mental health issues came in and it, and it was before it was protected as it is now. He took a hammer to it and he started attacking this statue, this sculpting. And it was sad, d- deeply sad to see one of the world's greatest pieces of art defaced in the way it was. And yet, a team of artists and artisans came together and lovingly began to restore it to its original image. Friends, that's, the, uh, that's God's Spirit's work in you. The image of God is in you and on you it's from the moment you were born. You are made in the image of God, and that image has been marred and defaced by the world we live in and our own choices and sin and all of those things. And yet the work of God is to continually and lovingly transform us from the inside out, not the outside in, inside out into more and more the likeness of his son. So my friends, let us morph. Let us us morph indeed. Amen. 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 Thank you, Richard.